Good morning. So thankful to be back with you here this morning and uh, thankful for the opportunity we have to uh, to share together in the blessings of the gospel and to rejoice in the word of God. Um, this morning uh, in the Bible study session, I tried to to speak on the, the subject of the gospel somewhat. We defined the gospel as good news, a declaration of good news, uh, which contrasts itself with all of the other information that we have in the world, which is all bad. Uh, we talked about the gospel as the news that God is God and he's a rewarder of them who diligently seek him, which is a combined message that brings hope where there is no hope and it brings uh, it brings joy where there can be no joy. It's a word that transforms the lives of individuals who are touched by it, who believe it. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 26, as well as other places, when he was on trial for his life on this occasion before King Agrippa, the last trial before he would be referred to Rome for a hearing before Caesar, he describes his witness, his testimony of how he was brought to faith in Jesus Christ. And of course, he had heard the gospel preached in many ways by many men before this time with no effect. But in verse 12 we read, Whereupon as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, listen to this, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. This is Paul's commission to preach the gospel. To preach the gospel to a people who have not known God nor the things of God and listen to what it is going to do. To turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. This morning our subject is sanctification by the Spirit of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul was given a message that was going to turn people's lives around, a transforming message. And the gospel transforms everyone whom it touches. We look to the scripture for examples and we find many. We find Nathaniel who was under a tree, wondering about the future of Israel, wondering about his own place in his economy, wondering about a lot of things, having heard the preaching of John the Baptist, but not really knowing what that means and if this Christ is really going to come. His friend Philip comes to him and says, come see a man 
We have found him who was to come. We find this recorded in the first chapter of John's gospel as a brilliant illustration of what the gospel does. Philip came to Nathanael. And Nathanael said to him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. Jesus said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And Philip believed. Philip followed him. He followed him from that day forward. Why? Because he heard good news that day. And he believed it. He was touched by it. The gospel reaches those such as the woman by the well of Samaria in John chapter 4 who said, our fathers worshipped in these mountains. The Jews say you should worship in Jerusalem. What do you say? I know you're a prophet. And Jesus said, the hour is coming now is when the true worshippers shall worship me in spirit and in truth. If you had asked of me, I would have given you a well of water springing up within you into eternal life. He says, I that speak unto thee, I am he. She says, I know that we that Messiah should come. He says, I am he. Her life is transformed. The message was a message of conviction in her case. A message that said, I know that you've had five husbands. The one you're with now is not your husband. You're a sinner. You're a Samaritan. And you're weak. But he said, if you had come to me, I would have given you more than you could have desired, more than you could have known. And she believed. She went into the city immediately declaring the truth. Come see a man who told me all things ever I did. The gospel transforms the lives of those that it touches. A ruler of the nation of Ethiopia, a eunuch in the court of the queen, rides a chariot to Jerusalem to worship. And returning to his native land, he's reading the Old Testament scripture. Reading in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53. The promise of the Savior, but he doesn't understand it. And the Holy Spirit arranges for a minister to attach himself there to the chariot. Philip asks, understandest thou what thou readest? The eunuch says, how can I except some man guide me? And from that very scripture, Philip preaches unto him Jesus Christ. The man's life was transformed. We don't know the message that was preached, the details of it, but Christ was preached with sufficient detail. They come by a place where there's water. The eunuch says, here is water. What doth hinder me from being baptized? And Philip says, if thou believest, thou mayest. And the testimony of faith responds to that message. And the eunuch says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. 
he's baptized at that moment. The Apostle Peter, sleeping on the roof of a house in the city of Joppa, receives words that men have come seeking him. The Holy Spirit is so arranged that a ruler, a man of authority, a centurion, a, a man of, of great power, a man named Cornelius, has sought the gospel message. A faithful man, a devout man, but a man without knowledge. The Holy Spirit says, send for Peter. And Peter goes. And arriving Peter with a lot of uncertainty, no doubt. In order to be willing to go, he had to consider a vision from God that said, Jews are not the only clean individuals any longer. Go to these Gentiles. Don't call common or unclean that which I have cleansed. But Peter goes with trepidation. He preaches there the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the message has a transforming influence. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up saying, stand up. I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. He said unto them, you know, it's an unlawful thing for a man that's a Jew to keep company. Or come into one of another nation, but God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying as soon as I was sent for. He tells his story. Says, Cornelius, your prayer is heard. Your arms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send a Joppa. And Peter says, I came. Then Peter opened his mouth in verse 34 and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That word I say ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him, and we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly." Not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead, and commanded us to preach unto the people, and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Peter preaches the gospel to a group of people who have not heard it, but who anxiously await the news, good news, news of salvation, news of hope, news of deliverance, and answer to their prayers. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost.
For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? Commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. The gospel changes the course of every life that it touches. And the gospel, as exhibited in these examples, is directed by the Holy Spirit of God. And notice Peter finds application here. He commanded us to preach the gospel everywhere to everyone. And here I am preaching to you. And the gospel demands a response. The Holy Spirit was present. And these who heard believed. And they were baptized. The gospel reached the Philippian jailer. The most unlikely candidate Paul and Silas are in prison for preaching the gospel. They're in prison for the establishment of a church in Philippi and the impact that it has on the economy of the city as people turn away from idols because of delivering one possessed of a devil who was a, a, a fortune teller and her owners, her, uh, her masters are angry because their living has been inhibited. And they're thrown in prison where an evidently ungodly jailer was keeping the jail. Certainly one who had no knowledge of the gospel that they proclaimed. And it was found that at midnight they were in their cells, bound in stocks and chains, singing praises unto God and rejoicing against all reason. And an earthquake shook the prison in which they were held. The gates were opened, the stocks fell off of them, they were free to go. And yet they not only remained, they encouraged and compelled all others to remain in their cells. And the jailer comes on the scene, certain that his life is forfeit, ready to take his own life because he knows that his charge has escaped and he'll pay with his life. And first, the calming voice. We are not escaped. We are all here. We're all safe. Don't harm yourself. And then the gospel's preached. The gospel is preached to one who does not know the God of the Bible, knows nothing of the Jewish religion that we are aware of. And yet Jesus Christ is preached. A good message of good news. The difference in Paul and Silas is revealed. The difference is Jesus Christ. And the jailer believes and is baptized along with all those in his house. Because the message is compelling and the Spirit attends the word. And none touched by it is ever the same again. We could go through additional scriptural examples. We could look at historical examples of lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, the world itself was changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because against all enemies and all those who sought to destroy it, against persecutions, against murders and sacrifices, the gospel continued to be proclaimed and is proclaimed to this day. The gospel changes lives of everyone who it touches. About... I can't think of dates. Uh, 1985. 
an eight-year-old little boy who had failed in counseling, attempting to deal with the loss of his brother to cancer, who was lost and confused and struggling as little boys often do. Having read Bible stories from time to time and made no distinction between them and any other storybook, having read the Bible and found comfort in some verses of Scripture, but not really understanding or grasping. And having gone to church for most of his life and having never heard a single sermon with any meaning, heard the gospel preached, and it changed my life. Because all of a sudden, God wasn't some fairy tale concept, some old man in the sky. God was. God was a rewarder of them who diligently seek Him. And my life was changed. Did I stop being a depraved sinner? I certainly continued to sin. Was I all of a sudden a model child? No, my parents would tell you otherwise. But I began to seek Him. And I knew where to find Him in His Word. And I began to desire that Word in my life. And that desire remains to this day. And my life is not what it otherwise would have been without the Gospel. And I'm here to tell you, in spite of many mistakes and many sorrows, my life is much better than it would have been without the gospel. I'm so thankful that God in His wonderful and saving regenerative work is not pleased to leave His people in darkness, nor to leave us foundering under the influence of Satan's evil and dark power. But He turns His people from darkness to light through the influence of His gospel It really is good news wherever it comes. Because you see, we in our nature are foundering. We're struggling under our own abilities, under our own will. And even when we try to do good things, we find we end up messing it up. We do it wrong. Our best intentions always fail. And the more we try to control things, the more we try to have things under our power, the worse they turn out and the more they slip through our fingers and we have no hope. But the gospel tells us that God is. And God is sovereign. God is in control. And the gospel tells us that God seeks and finds us The gospel tells us that our understanding of His very presence in our life is evidence of belonging to Him. And with that comes great and precious promises. The gospel is a message of good news because it's a message of promises from a God who cannot lie. A God who sent His Son to die to secure His people to Himself. A God who sent His Son to procure for us a righteousness that we could never attain through our works. A God who imputes His Son's righteousness to us. And a God who transforms us. 
through the sanctifying work of his Holy Spirit. And the gospel informs our minds and applied to our hearts and forms our lives of those truths and gives us power, as John words it in John chapter 1, to become the sons of God. In a very real and manifest way, there is a difference made in the lives of every child of God by the influence of his Holy Spirit, but most when the gospel is proclaimed. And the gospel is exactly that. It's a, it's a proclamation, a declaration. A declaration of what a good God has done for unworthy sinners. A declaration of what God will do in your and my life. And the life of everyone who is brought to faith in Jesus Christ. He's going to do great things with our lives. But before we go on, we need to understand what that means. What do I mean by great things? Well, those who have believed the gospel and those who have been transformed by its influence and power, they've suffered the loss of all things. They've suffered the loss of life even. What great things is he going to do? Well, the greatest thing we could desire is that which is desired by every one of his examples in the New Testament scripture. That Jesus Christ might be magnified in us. What more could we desire? That we would reflect his image in our lives that we live. The Apostle Paul and Peter both say, even if I die, that he might be magnified in my death. We want to be like Jesus Christ. And the good news is that whether now or later, We'll be conformed to the image of His dear Son. We're going to be better than we are today. We're not going to remain in this state. As we've mentioned before, John Newton late in life said, What? I thank God that I'm not what I once was. He says, I'm not perfect. I'm not what I will be, but I'm not what I once was. And a key to this transformation is the gospel as it is preached and proclaimed. Understand the gospel is not limited to a very short and concise and simple message. Jesus Christ was born, he lived, he died, he rose again. That is the very heart of it because without those facts, nothing else matters. The resurrection is key because that means Jesus Christ is alive and reigning today. And that means we can talk to him and get a response. And that means we can implore him and he will hear us. Hebrews is full of good news about this message. Jesus Christ is alive and he's not a high priest that can't be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He understands our struggles and he can be touched by them. He cares. He's alive. But the gospel is really every word of the scripture of the Old and New Testament. And we find that throughout Paul's writings as he talks about my gospel, the gospel that I preach to you. It's not limited to the simple details of Christ's life, nor even the message of salvation and how it's accomplished and applied. But it reaches to every element of the scripture. And that's why the gospel is necessary for you and me. I'm a long distance away from the eight-year-old boy I was in 1985. But I need the gospel today as much as I did then. I need to feed off of the gospel, and so do you. The gospel is important. The church meets together to worship, and what do we do? We sing praises to God, we pray to God for His presence and for His, His power in our lives, and then we preach the gospel. 
We listen to the gospel. And we pray that word will be applied in a very real way in our hearts because the gospel is more than just words. The gospel is empowered by the Spirit of God. The Apostle Paul was a preacher of the gospel. First and foremost, he preached the gospel. He writes to the Corinthians, he says, I thank God I baptized none of you, save this short list. I'm not here to baptize. I'm not here to take credit for your growth. I'm not here to make a name for myself. He says, I preach the gospel. And he then says, I preach the gospel because there's a necessity that I preach the gospel. It's laid on me to preach the gospel. It's commanded of me to preach the gospel. And the gospel is not just about reaching the unsaved. That is, those who have never heard. That's an important part of it. The gospel is to be proclaimed. Paul said he's commanded us to preach the gospel. And that's true. We hear Jesus' words, preach the gospel. Go ye to all nations, to every nation. Preach the gospel. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. But once the gospel's believed, the gospel is to be preached. In the Ephesian letter, as Paul rejoices in the sovereignty of God and salvation and its application in the lives of those in Ephesus, after talking about God's sovereign will, God's power and His presence in salvation, he writes and says in verse 13, "...in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise." which is the earnest of our inheritance till the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. What's Paul saying? You heard the gospel. You believed the gospel. You received the gospel. You were sealed in your belief. For many today, it'd be case closed. Shut the book. There's no more need. Once saved, always saved. They believed the gospel. Nothing more is needed. Paul doesn't stop there. Writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, Wherefore, because of this, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love to all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The apostle says, I want you to grow in knowledge. I want you to continue to feed on the gospel. I want your knowledge to increase more and more. I want you to be enlightened. Your understanding to be enlightened. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. You see, we feed on hope because the gospel is that good news. We live in a world that's full of bad news and our own lives are full of bad news. We have ideas about what we want for the future. And they don't come to pass. They don't come to fruition. We have hopes for our children, our grandchildren, our loved ones. And yet they turn aside. They go astray. And we're discouraged. We're brought down. But the gospel is a message of hope. The gospel declares, 
the sovereignty of God first and foremost. He knows what he's doing and he's able to do all things that he desires. One of the greatest struggles we have as Christians is aligning our will to the will of God. We all map out how we think things ought to go, what we want. And often our prayers sound like that. We pray to God saying, God, make this happen and this happen and this happen and everything will be okay. But Jesus in the model prayer limits that. He tells us, thy will be done. That's the, the, the core of every one of our prayers. Whatever our desires are, whatever we think we have figured out, what do we say? Thy will be done according to thy will. And we become reconciled to his will. Why? Because his will is the will that's going to be done. He's the only one that can bring it to pass. Paul says to the Ephesians, I want you to know what is the hope. I want you to understand the hope that is in Christ. The hope of his calling. One of the things that's revealed through belief of the truth is a belonging to God. We talked last time about the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. It's immediate. God brings life out of death and he does it in whoever he wants to, whenever he wants to, however he wants to. And it makes a change, an indelible change, we said. One that can't be undone. But that change is not always immediately apparent. At least not to an outside observer. And certainly questions are asked. Some of the greatest hymns of the faith have questions like, am I his or am I not? And the answer to that question is only found as we're conformed to him through his word and first as we believe his word. Some of our historic articles of faith use language like this. The gospel is the alone, or belief of the gospel is the alone sure evidence of eternal life. What does that mean? Well, belonging to Jesus Christ and being quickened by His Spirit may affect real changes and does affect real changes in the heart and the mind. He writes His law in our mind. He puts it in our hearts. A conscience is present where it was not before and it burns. But this can be very hard to identify and very hard to understand if it's real. If it's compelled by an external force or an internal. But one thing we know of a certainty is one cannot believe the gospel. Cannot accept the gospel. Cannot receive the gospel. Unless this change has been made in their heart. Why? Because the heart of man, it's desperately wicked. And man by nature cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness unto him. The Apostle Paul begins the second letter to the Corinthian church with this very fact. They're trying to, to preach the gospel in intellectual terms. They're trying to interact with those in the universities in their city. And they're trying to be scholarly about it. And they're finding rejection. And they're also demeaning the preaching of the gospel that Paul was doing. Saying, you know, his words, they're not real educated sounding. He doesn't speak on a high enough level to be very impressive to those we're trying to reach. He's not really smart enough for us. And Paul says, I purposely, I willingly chose not to come to you with excellency of speech, not to come to you with man's wisdom, 
Because my desire is that the gospel not stand in man's wisdom. That it not be an intellectual appeal. He says, I determined this with myself. I would not come to you again in heaviness. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad? I am in the wrong place. What did I do here? This is a new Bible and I am like totally lost. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm in 2 Corinthians instead of 1 Corinthians. <laughs> uh, and I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And then he closes that chapter, saying which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So Paul says... I purposely didn't come with wisdom of man's words. I didn't come to you trying to persuade you and convince your mind. I came to you rather depending on the Spirit of God and declaring a message that you could not receive except God enable you to hear it. And the gospel depends upon this enabling power of God. And again, the message affects those who are alive in Jesus Christ. And it does so on every occasion. Jesus Christ in John's Gospel says on one occasion, you have seen me and you have not believed. You've heard me and you have not believed. Why? Because you are of your father, the devil. You are not of my sheep in another place. He says you could not here. In John chapter 6, again, that message Jesus preached, such a powerful and impactful message, a message that should have changed the hearts and minds of everyone who heard it. Certainly there was no fault in Jesus preaching. Jesus was and is the greatest preacher to ever live. Jesus preaches his own gospel. He says, I am the bread of life. I came down from heaven I am he that should come. Having said all of these things as he taught, many turned and walked away. But some did not. Will ye also go away? Simon answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. We believe we can't go anywhere else.
as you've heard the gospel proclaimed in your own life, it's no doubt challenged you. It's challenged me. Let go of your dependence on your own works. Let go of your own ideas, your own priorities. Acknowledge that God is Lord of all, with all that that entails. And that's a challenge. And the natural man desires to flee the gospel because the gospel is a challenging message. It says change the way you do things, change the way you live, change your priorities, change your values, and recognize the word of God as the only rule of your faith and of your practice. And we shirk back from that. We shrink. We want to go. We want to flee. Many disciples turned and walked no more with him. But what about the disciples? The apostles. What does Peter say? To whom shall we go? This message is so valuable, so important, so impactful that as frightening as following Jesus Christ may seem and may really be, there's nowhere else to go because he has the words of eternal life. In 1 Corinthians 15, as Paul begins his defense of the doctrine of the resurrection, he says, Moreover, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. We said the gospel transforms lives, and it does. If we believe his word, then we can't but live in that belief. And that makes us a different being. We are saved by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We are saved by the imparting of the Holy Spirit, the quickening of our dead hearts. And we are saved. When we believe the truth. When we embrace that truth and live in that truth. And Paul says our belief is vain if it's not maintained. By which also you are saved if you keep in memory that which was preached to you. Unless you have believed in vain. Our gospel is no easy believing message. That says just say a prayer and give a sense. And you're secure and you can go about your life unchanged. No, our gospel is a gospel for life. It's a commitment for life. A confession and profession for life. The apostle Peter said to Jesus. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And in saying so, he says, Peter, you've signed up for a difficult journey. Peter, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be beaten and I'm going to be killed. Peter says, be it far from you. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You savor not the things that be of God, but the things which be of men. A little later on, Jesus says, Peter, apostles... Before this night's over, one of you is going to deny me three times. They say, Lord, is it I? Peter says, I'll never deny you. And yet he does. 
In John chapter 20, Jesus says, Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love you. Feed my sheep. What? Preach the gospel. Declare this truth. Declare what you've learned. And in his dying days, Peter writes an epistle. He says, I think it's needful while I'm still in this tabernacle, while I'm still alive, to bring to your mind, to bring to your remembrance the things you already know. Jesus Christ is real. Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ is God. The Apostle Paul preached the gospel. In the Roman letter, he expresses his desire to preach where the name of Christ has not been named. But the Apostle Paul had a great love for his people Israel, and he begins that message in the ninth chapter and carries it through the eleventh chapter of the Roman letter. In Romans chapter 10, after dealing with his desire for faith and belief among his unbelieving brethren, Paul tries to wrestle with and explain why it is that they cannot believe. Their dependence is upon the law and their ability to keep it. They think they can earn relationship with God through obedience. He says in the 10th chapter, in the 3rd verse, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believeth. Sometimes as professing believers, we fall into the trap of seeking to find God through obedience to certain laws or commands. Usually the ones we pretty well got under control. The things we're doing, we want to require that everybody else do those things. Jesus, of course, in his teaching, set a standard higher than any understanding previously of the law of Moses. But these brethren of Paul's according to the flesh, they desire to find relationship and find righteousness through the law. And he says you can never do that. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thy heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. The word is near. The law says obey. And in obedience, find righteousness. In obedience, find relationship. But in the Hebrew letter, he says, this law never brought the comers there unto perfection. It never made them perfect. Say not in thy heart, who shall ascend unto heaven? As professing believers, we are completely wrong if our object in worship and our object in living is to obtain relationship, to ascend unto heaven, to gain heaven by our obedience or by our faith or by our acts, the things that we do. 
As I mentioned last time, there is a expression that's floating around in the world today. There's nothing we need to do to obtain eternal salvation. All we need to do is believe. On the surface, maybe that sounds okay. But belief is doing something. The gospel is not an offer. It's not a demand that you do something to make it reality. It's a declaration of what's been done for you. It does not give us a single law, no matter how small, to keep so that salvation is because of our obedience. It says not who shall ascend to heaven, that is bring Christ down from above, or say he is not the sole author of salvation, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ again from the dead, to say I've got this, I can handle this. What saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The gospel declares a certainty of salvation to everyone that believes the message proclaimed. Not because they believe it, but they believe it because they are saved. And there's a certain consolation that is received in that. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed there's a lot of shame in this world and there's a lot of shame in the lives of professing christians why because we profess to believe on jesus christ as our savior and that god is in control we profess that we belong to him and yet we continue living in the shame of all of our misdoings all of our misdeeds We continue to live a life in shame because we think we have to do something still to attain or to maintain this relationship or to gain this righteousness. But what does he say? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He says there is no shame in those who believe. Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. There's two meanings I find in this verse. One, we're not going to be ashamed because we have the righteousness of Christ. It's imputed to us and that's what stands as our righteousness. But we're also not going to be ashamed of that which we profess to believe. There's a day coming when this world is going to be brought to an end. There's a day coming when Jesus Christ describes all nations will be gathered before him and divided. The sheep on the one hand, the goats on the other. And that day there's going to be a lot of shame. Jesus Christ is going to turn to those on the left and he's going to say, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was in prison and you didn't visit me. I was afflicted and you didn't care. Depart from me, cursed into everlasting fire. And what are they going to do? They're going to say, when didn't we do these things? Their shame is going to be manifested. It's going to be evident before all. But those who have believed, 
Those who are saved, those who belong to Jesus Christ, will never be ashamed. In this life, there are lots who try to shame us. The Apostle Paul reveals that in the 8th chapter of the Roman letter as he, he speaks of those who condemn, those who speak ill. And he says all of that is meaningless. Who is that he that condemneth? It's Christ that died. Yea, rather that's risen again, who's at the right hand of God making intercession for us. In this 10th chapter, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Again, there is no Shame. For there is no difference between Jew and the Greek. The same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you called upon the name of the Lord? Are you calling on the name of the Lord? Whatever the trial, whatever the, the, the danger, whatever the fear, call upon the name of the Lord. Do this continuously. Why? Because He is And he's a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Today. Tomorrow. Every day. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Some people say, well, of course everyone calls upon the Lord. Verse 14. How shall they then call upon him in whom they have not believed? Calling on the name of Allah or the million deities of India is not calling upon the name of the Lord. We can't call on one whom we do not believe. How shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear Without a preacher. And how shall they preach except they be sent? We've attempted this morning to cover some of those concepts. How shall they believe of him in whom they have not heard? The gospel declares the person and power of God in Jesus Christ. The gospel declares salvation in Christ alone. The gospel declares all the truth of Scripture and we feed on it. But how how can we believe it if we haven't heard it? How can we hear it without a preacher? The gospel is not just words. Tracts may serve a wonderful purpose from time to time, but a tract is not the gospel. The word of God printed on paper and read, is a great blessing and it is the Word of God, the inspired Word of God, but it is not the Gospel. How shall they hear without a preacher? It pleased God, Paul says, by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. As he begins this Roman letter, He says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And it's laughed at and it's demeaned and even in churches of this day, preaching is taking a back seat to entertainment and other options. But what does the word of God say? How how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? Just in passing this morning, we've seen examples of at least three preachers who were sent. 
Paul was sent to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, and he went. Philip was sent to preach to one individual, the eunuch traveling across the desert, journeying to Ethiopia. Peter was sent to preach the gospel to Cornelius and his household. How shall they preach except they be sent? We need to pray that God would send messengers, send laborers into his harvest, send messengers to preach the gospel, that he would empower and qualify them to preach, that his spirit would attend their words and their going. How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. And bring glad tidings of good things. What is the gospel? It's good news. Glad tidings of good things. And it's not about the man that is going. It's amazing the disparity of gifts that God uses to preach his gospel. Men that he calls to preach. Paul, the persecutor of Christians, called to be one of the most powerful preachers ever to live. Man after man called to preach. It was said of the apostles in their day that they were not men of learning. Their speech, it was contemptible. Yet they took knowledge of them that they had been with Christ. A preacher is called. A preacher is qualified. A preacher is sent. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. The gospel contains many promises. One of the promises is that it will be heard. It will be received. God's word does not return to him void. That's true in the voice of God that speaks in the work of regeneration, but it's also true in the proclamation of the gospel empowered by his spirit. And we don't need to back away from that. That's the context here under consideration. But they have not all obeyed thy gospel. Often as churches we grow discouraged because there aren't more people in the pews. In our attempts at evangelism we grow discouraged because people we try to reach out to at our workplace or in, 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 in the community in which we live, they don't respond, they don't receive it. We worry maybe we've got the wrong message, maybe our presentation is wrong, maybe we're doing something wrong and maybe we are. But just maybe we're not. They've not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? And he begins to quote Old Testament scripture here. We might say it's out of context, except the Holy Spirit inspires it. So we have to take what's written here. That's an important study, the use of Old Testament Scripture in the New Testament. It's amazing sometimes the Scriptures from the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit uses in context that we would never have imagined in the New Testament. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Paul here has under consideration primarily his Jewish brethren who have heard the gospel and rejected the gospel. It's not that the gospel hasn't been preached. But I say, did not Israel know? 
First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel he saith, all day long have I stretched forth my hands to a disobedient gainsaying people. To really catch this, we'd have to preach a message on this chapter and get into chapter 11 as well. But what's Paul saying? The problem is not that the gospel has not been preached. It's been preached. They've heard the word and they've rejected the word. And what Paul does with this is he takes a step back and he acknowledges the sovereignty of God. The power and necessity of God in this. He says God has a purpose in this. He must. And this was a continuing theme in Paul's preaching. In fact, even with these Roman brethren, we closed out this morning and I think we'll close this afternoon as well with the final chapter of the book of Acts as we find Paul having safely arrived in the outskirts of the city of Rome. He's preaching the gospel. And his Jewish brethren there are once again rejecting it. Verse 24 tells us, And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. And that's always the case with a gospel message. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed. After that Paul had spoken one word, and here was his word, Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people, and say, Hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Even in this Old Testament scripture, there's a promise of the gospel. If they should hear with their ears, if they should understand with their heart, they will be converted. They'll be changed. They'll be healed. Be it known therefore unto you, that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and that they will hear it. There is no promise that everyone will hear the gospel. But there is a promise that some will hear the gospel. Our efforts are not in vain. First of all, as we said, the gospel is not intended only for those who do not believe. The gospel is designed to feed, to nourish, to nurture believers, each one of us. And that's why we meet together, to hear the gospel proclaimed, that we might feed on the gospel, that we might grow through the gospel, that we might be transformed by the gospel. But there is a promise. That as we evangelize, the very word evangelize means to preach the gospel. As we take the gospel outside of our borders and reach out to those in our lives, those we come in contact with, while many may reject the truth, some will believe. Paul says, my labor is not in vain in the gospel. I'm taking the gospel to the Gentiles and they will hear it. And as a church of Jesus Christ, we need to recognize that truth. Our labor is not empty. It's not in vain. Whether the pews are filled or whether 
were reduced to a small congregation. Our effort is not in vain because the people of God will hear. They'll be touched by the truth when it's proclaimed and lives will be changed. And having once received the truth, the child of God clings to the truth. No matter how far we may stray, through discouragement, through sin, through the many challenges this world presents, once believed that message remains. And we will hear it. If you feel yourself falling out of love with the Savior, if the desire to be in the presence of the saints is no longer as compelling as it once was, if the desire to read and meditate upon the Word is not as strong as it once was, the answer of Scripture is the Gospel. Be under the sound of the Gospel. When you don't feel like being at church, that's when you need to be at church. Why? Because that's where the Gospel is proclaimed. And pray the Lord would change you through His Gospel. The Gospel is the greatest weapon in the hand of the New Testament church as it seeks to represent Jesus Christ in an ungodly world. And the Gospel is comprised of the Word of God that He's committed to our care, to our keeping, and preserved for us till this day. And the Gospel is preached by those whom God qualifies and calls. And He's not going to stop doing that until He comes again. And there's no more need for the Gospel. Why? Because then we'll know even as we are known. We won't need sanctification because we'll be glorified. This transforming work of the gospel, as a final thought, separates us from the rest of the world. It separates us from what we once were. Why is that? Sanctification. To set apart. To set apart to a holy purpose. The same way the priests were cleansed and, and separated before they could enter into the service of God. And he's made of us kings and priests unto God. Thank you for your attention and your prayer this morning.